Today's reading is Matthew 5, verses 1 to 16. It can be found on page 892 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The word of the Lord. Do you know that Sacramento has a new, brand new professional soccer team? Yeah. Right here. Yeah. All right. So join me next time. I was walking into the stadium last night when Mark called me. And uh, he said, are you going? He gets excited about my excitement. Mark is a great friend, and it's a privilege to be here in this place with all of you. Mark and I meet regularly, and our, our stated goal is to remind each other of the gospel when we're together. And I've been reminded of that already this morning and blessed already to be here. Hi, Nick. How's it going? You came late. So... <laughs> recriminations already. So uh, I was talking to Mark on the phone and he said, aren't you supposed to be preparing? And I said, I am. I'm going to the Republic game. Had a great time. So did you see this in the news? You know, anybody know what I'm doing? Reality imitates art. Do you know that they're doing this in where? Do you know? In Thailand. They're, they're doing this thing from a fictional book, a movie. And they're, uh, it was called a, I wrote it down. The salute has been called in Thailand, the, the junta-ruled nation now, a symbolic act of peaceful defiance amid a situation that's spiraling downwards. Do I need to stand somewhere different? I'm good. Okay. I hear an echo. Um, yeah, so 
they're, they're using this Hunger Games reference in an actual, actual protest, and people are being detained up to a week for doing this. It's crazy. So if you don't know about the Hunger Games, I'll just give you a little background. My kids are totally into it, and I, they got me into it. The Hunger Games is about the futuristic kingdom of Panem. The capital, the evil capital, controls all the districts with stormtroopers called peacemakers. Emphasis on makers. The fear and intimidation that they use reach their apex in the Hunger Games, which is where children are chosen at random to fight in a sick televised gladiatorial contest with the poorest and most desperate, the most likely to be chosen. If that sounds familiar, it's because Jesus was born in Panem. Only they called it Rome in the first century. Part of their intimidation was deadly gladiatorial contests between slaves for the diversion of their over-entertained populace. How did they get the money for those lavish events? Tribute from conquered peoples who could see the price of rebellion hanging on crosses on the sides of their roads. So Rome, Jesus was born into a poor family in a disregarded region of a people oppressed by this most powerful empire the world has ever known. And here's Jesus, and he comes calling himself a king, the king, into that kind of oppressive regime. And in these few lines that were read beautifully this morning, Jesus lays out a radically new agenda for a whole new type of kingdom, which he declared was going to be recognized and complete, recognized by the whole universe one day, and is already, even now, here, among all those who follow him. It's quite a claim, and you can't ignore that claim, whether you're a long-time Jesus lover, or if you're just being drawn to consider his claims, or if you're just checking out this whole Jesus, God, church thing. Today, it's a claim that you can't get around the fact is new. It's different. It's not what was expected from those waiting for the Messiah in the first century Palestine, and it's different from our popular way of self-help today. It's like nothing else. Jesus calls it a picture of his kingdom come and how God's will can be done on earth the same way it is in heaven. His kingdom come. It's not about violent revolution or human ingenuity, but rather living in that way of Jesus right now. And you read, I couldn't stop, just, I just wanted you to read that whole thing, but we're going to focus on just one little verse. And it's this one. Blessed are the meek, 
for they will inherit the earth. We're going to look at what real meekness is and what that real meekness is good for, what good is it, and how it can actually change everything. So, how does the idea of meekness go down in our culture today? Is it on the top list of attributes that you're looking for, maybe in a job interview? Imagine, uh, how'd the interview go? I nailed it. I was really meek. How about the interviewer? Well, we've, we've got our top three candidates. They're all, they're all meek. But that one guy, he was the meekest. So I think we've just got to give it to him. How about, a, how about a first date? How did it go? What's he like? Oh my gosh, he is really meek. <laughs> okay, that might be a little bit of a double standard there in our, in our culture since... Uh, meekness might be especially undervalued in men, but uh, meekness. I think maybe it's because it rhymes with weakness, but it's really gotten a bad rap in our culture. Um, you know, it's often confused with being mousy, socially awkward. Uh, you let people walk all over you, right? That's kind of what meekness means, even Jesus' statement, depending on how you say it, uh, you know, you could say it like, oh, blessed are the meek. Oh, you, 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 you're so meek. I just want to bless you. You, you just really need my blessing. You meek, if I don't bless you, you might just evaporate. But that's not the meaning of the word in the original language. The biblical meaning, it's a Greek word, praus. Let me make sure I say that right. Praus, and it, it means this. It means exercising God's strength under his control or demonstrating power without being harsh. That's the connotation in the Bible. It's like a very strong horse who's trained to do the job. Like a racehorse who's supposed to win. That would have been exciting, wouldn't it? Triple crown, almost. But, you know, imagine... You know, is there such thing as a horse that's so talented and fast it can win without a jockey? I don't know much about horse racing, but from what I learned watching TV over the last few races, uh, there's a whole lot that goes into it about how the jockey and the horse interact and how they're held back and they're steered and they're let go at just the right time. And California Chrome didn't get it done, but... A powerful horse 
who's under control to get something done. The other connotation of the biblical term is very different from the way we use the word meekness. It's the ability for people to control their impulses and desires so as to love and serve others around them, even sacrificing their own desires. Meekness, in the biblical sense, has everything to do with the other. The meek are gentle and kind, not because others dominate them into meekness, submission, but because they choose to devote themselves to others, even giving up something for the sake of someone else. Giving up something like the need to be right. Anyone have that need? It's confession time. I'm not looking, I'm just confessing. Maybe a sense of entitlement. How about a, a real concern for your own safety and security? The meek willingly lay aside such things for the benefit of others. You know what can make you instantly meek? Some of you are holding an example of this thing. Have a baby. You are instantly reminded about how selfish you are. Aren't you? Can I get an amen from you new parents? Amen. That's like instant meekness. There you go. You're meek. <laughs> I mean, you, you just can't. Even when, when it's your child that you love so much, you're still kind of put out by the thing, aren't you? You know, this is... I mean, it takes a lot of fortitude to give up your own rights, even if it's your own flesh and blood. We're pretty selfish. And our world isn't organized around the idea... That's not distracting, by the way. That's just perfect. It's on cue. We plan that. Not me and Nick, me and the babe. We plan that. It's just not how our world is organized. You know, what good is meekness? In our country, we have the idea of rugged individualism, living the American dream. What's the first thing that comes to your mind? American dream. Money. See, without a filter, we can get real. We can get real. Oftentimes... Did you say money or something else? I thought you said Okay. All right. And what else? What else comes to mind? House. Independence. Yeah, we, we're just laying it all out there. You know, whose house? Mine, right? That's kind of how we, how we go. I was researching this phrase, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. So this is a value that we hold up in our culture. Right? And it, you know, here's the definition. To begin an enterprise or recover from a setback without any outside help, to succeed only on one's own effort or abilities. It is interesting, isn't it, that in our culture we have a proverb that we say defines us and it's a thing that's actually impossible to do. Pull yourself up by your own. Try it. Go ahead, try it. <laughs> That's interesting. Some of our defining values seem to contradict each other. Does our pursuit of happiness 
ever get in the way of our other value of liberty and justice for all? Just asking. Which, which one holds more sway, do you think? We got cable for the World Cup, and uh, the commercials are relentless and shameless. Um, buy this product to be happy, wealthy, successful. Um, you know, that's, that's kind of normal, but what they don't even need to sell us on is that we have to be happy, wealthy, and successful. They don't even try to sell us on that. That's just a given. Right? I mean, of course, you have to be happy. So here's, here's how you get it. We applaud heroic acts of sacrifice too, but the, the fact that we honor them so highly means that they're somewhat rare, I think. I was, I was watching a commercial that was supposed to be kind of a heartwarming commercial about self-sacrifice. Maybe you guys saw this. You guys are awesome. You probably never watch TV. Um, but it, it, was a, it was a dash cam of somebody in, in some traffic, and he stopped, and, and somebody gets out of their SUV and gets out and helps an old lady across the, the street through the dangerous traffic. And I thought, am I missing something? This is supposed to be like, wow, <laughs> What an amazing sacrifice. Helping the old lady not get killed was like, was like this huge, oh my gosh, did you see that guy? He took 30 seconds out of his day to hurry the old lady across the street so he could get to work on time. I don't know. Did you guys see that one or was that it was a dash cam? Anyway, I just thought, okay, that's super giving. You know, it's like the music, they're trying to get you to, oh, you help the lady not get run over. I could, I could do that. I could give up 30 seconds. All right, well, we're going to show a clip of the Hunger Games. So I think there's only like a couple naughty words in the whole film. And I put one in the clip, sorry. But, so... It's about three minutes. Uh oh. <laughs> so maybe I'll set this up for a minute if anyone's, if anyone's uh, not seen this. Um, so they're, they're in these horrible fights to the death, and then they get paraded around all the districts on a PR tour, and now they're in the district of two fallen children that were allies of the main characters, Peta and Katniss. And Peta goes off the script he's supposed to placate the people with, and he starts talking from his heart to the people who've lost their children. And uh, here it is. There we go. <laughs> Though they fought and dignity, until the end, both fresh and brutal, are so young. But our lives aren't just measured in years. They're measured in the lives of people we touch around us. For myself, for Katniss, 
we know that without Brew and without Thresh, we wouldn't be standing here today. So in recognition of that, knowing that it in no way can make up for your loss, we'd like to donate one month of our winnings to the families of the tributes every year for the rest of our lives. Baby, you hear? I can't, but you did. do to redress this horrific crime that's been perpetrated. He does something tangible. He offers one of our idols that you mentioned. He offers money, something tangible. The meek know that every square inch of the world belongs to God and that any blessing in their lives is there to share with others. A theme throughout the Bible from the very beginning all the way through. Abraham was called by God and blessed in order to be a blessing to all nations. The meek understand that interconnectedness. That meekness acknowledges that God's ways are better than the tight-fisted ways that we learn in our world. True meekness serves others by working to end injustice because the meek takes seriously The idea that we exist in this alternative, new, upside-down kingdom of God that's part of a body, 
Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, there should be no division in the body. Its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. The, the Romans actually had a similar imagery of many parts in one body. But they used it to control and to suppress their people because it was widely understood that there were some parts of the body that were more important than others. And so they would teach people, hey, you're all part of the system. You're all part of the body. Play your little lowly insignificant role or else. That was how the imagery of the body was used in Rome. And here Jesus comes along and Paul writes about it and says, this imagery of body is different. All the parts are interconnected and all have equal value. It was revolutionary. Being part of the body of Christ is not about striving to be on top, grasping the American dream at any cost, nor is it about playing your lowly role and shutting up. That's not meekness. Meekness, remember, using God's strength under his control is presenting yourself as a living sacrifice in service for others. All of us equally, not just the low serving the high. That kind of sacrifice demands that we wake up and look around. I think the best way to do that is to look in your immediate neighborhood, in your immediate workplace, in your immediate family, and just begin there. Begin trying to see with new eyes. Martin Luther King Jr. said that the violent racists in the South were not the biggest threat to civil rights, but the moderate white clergy who said, we're with you, brother, just wait. Don't be so radical. In his letter from a Birmingham jail, he writes this, and you've probably heard parts of this, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality. This is the part you might not hear as much. Tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. How aware are we of what is affecting our neighbors? In, in, in this country, I think we tend to surround ourselves with people who don't need or want help and who don't ask us if we need or want help. That's kind of how we do. And I wonder if the privilege and isolation sometimes make us miss out on the opportunity to develop the spiritual ability to love our neighbors. I think about that with my kids all the time. Our, you know, what can we do to miss out on this blessing, the blessing of being meek? I was... Uh, Last night, I was telling somebody that I was describing the Mexican market where I got this food, and somebody said, oh, where is that? And I described where it was, and he said, 
oh, oh, I get that a lot. Oh, kind of a backing up kind of motion. Oh, did I do it when you guys said you live in Oak Park? I don't know. Oh, that's kind of a rough area. You know, and the implication is don't go there, that place where you live. <laughs> you, know, you know, it's it's a little hard to not go there. I, I live there. And I remember one time recently I was biking, well, it was a couple of years ago now, with my 12-year-old, now she's 14. We were biking on the bike trail, beautiful, the sunset. We were looking for beavers in the creek and watching the sunset. And then I realized, okay, now I'm in the part where a lot of my neighbors who live outside live. And uh, now it's getting dark. And I had this little thought like, ooh, maybe I'm an irresponsible dad. Because, you know, I know know several of those people and I know some of them are using drugs and stuff. And there I am with my 12-year-old in the woods, you know, biking around. And then I thought, what would be really irresponsible would be for me to hide that from her to isolate and insulate her from the actual thing that's happening in our neighborhood and not for her to know those neighbors. And so I went around with my 12-year-old visiting all the folks who are addicted to alcohol and drugs in, in the woods right next to our house. And she already knew several of them. And we were like, hey, how's it going? We're going on a little tour. And I thought, yeah, dad of the year. But that's, I think that it would have been a really scary thing to kind of hide that from her. How about this? Who do we choose the people with whom we ally? In the books and the movies, Katniss allies herself with Rue, the youngest, Peta, the injured. And then in the second book, the second movie that we just saw she allies herself with Mags, an elderly woman who volunteers, meekly volunteers. That's showing meekness, to volunteer for somebody who was mentally unstable because of the horror of the war. And, and Katniss kind of eschewed the strong uh, ones who wanted to win at all costs with violence. And she saw this elderly woman and she said, that's, that's who I want on my team. Not a great strategy for winning. But she was thinking about the kind of community that she was made to be a part of. It's a different way of thinking. Katniss says, I want her on my team. The community where all members, old, young, suffering, healthy, are included and cared about. That is the community that's available to the meek. And they realize that they have no choice but to exist as part of this one body. It's difficult and it requires us to follow the one who defines meekness. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. 
that lamb that was slain is who we're going to celebrate in just a minute. The meek don't strive to make it on their own, fearful that their weaknesses will be exposed. Rather, they embrace their weakness, living as part of a whole figurative body, knowing that the actual body was broken on a cross. And that ultimate act of meekness, do we have a cross? There's a cross. That ultimate act of meekness that God gives to us through Christ changes everything. He invites us to join that blessed community, laying down our selfishness and fear and choosing instead to embrace the meekness that he demonstrated. William Stringfellow was a real smart dude who said this, to become and to be a Christian is not at all an escape from the world as it is, nor is it a wistful longing for a better world nor a commitment to generous charity, nor fondness for moral and spiritual values, whatever that may mean, nor self-serving positive thoughts, nor persuasion to splendid abstractions about God. It is instead the knowledge that there is no pain or privation, no humiliation or disaster, no scourge or distress or destitution or hunger, no striving or temptation, no wile or sickness or suffering or poverty, which God has not known and born for us in Jesus Christ. He has borne death itself on behalf of humanity, and in that event he has broken the power of death once and for all. This is the event which Christians confess and celebrate and witness in their daily work and worship for the sake of all humanity. To become a Christian is therefore to have the extraordinary freedom to share the burdens of the daily, common, ambiguous, transient, perishing existence of human beings, even to the point of actually taking the place of another. Whether he be powerful or weak, in health or in sickness, clothed or naked, educated or illiterate, secure or persecuted, complacent or despondent, proud or forgotten, housed or homeless, fed or hungry, at liberty or in prison, young or old, white or brown, rich or poor. For a Christian to be poor and to work among the poor is not a conventional charity, but a use of the freedom for which Christ has set us free. Let's pray. God, you have shown us that meekness is something that we can have because of you. Because of your great strength. And by submitting to your kingship in this new way of living, that we can begin to really listen 
we can begin to be more connected with the people around us. And we can do this wherever we are because of Jesus. We ask that you would reveal yourself to us in a new way today and show us the places in our circles of influence, the people that you bring into our lives whose destiny is tied up with ours and show us how we can begin to make those sacrifices. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.